The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is episode 106 for February 25th. And since I am the one introducing the podcast, that must mean that Rob is on vacation. Um, Rob is actually taking a little time off going to Mexico. So I have a special guest host today, Brian Byer, CEO of Red Canary. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Glad to have you here. How are things going? Great. Happy to stand in for Rob anytime. He's definitely in a warmer place than we are right now. Yeah, um, I was shocked by the amount of snow that we got overnight. So um, glad we were still able to get together and do this. There was, you know, no snowpocalypse or, <laughs> you know, blizzard. Nobody stuck in here. Um, before we jump into the news, let's get through our announcements. Uh, we do have a Slack channel. So for those of you that want to collaborate with a number of other, almost 800 people in the Colorado area around security, come join our Slack channel. You can find out more about that by going to the website, colorado-security.com. There's a convenient button right there on the front of the website that says Slack. Just click on that. It'll take you right to the Slack workspace and you can sign right up. And that's definitely the Slack channel you want to be on. On the same page, you can learn more about the mailing list and get more information from Colorado Equals Security in your inbox every time something new comes out. Yeah, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast and you're getting it somehow, we would love if you subscribed so you get it easily in your podcast player, uh, whether that's iTunes or Google Play or whatever store it is that you uh, get your podcasts from. And then while you're there, it would be great if you could rate us. Um, I think having a great rating helps with other people dis discovering the podcast. Absolutely. And huge thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. You can support us also through the Colorado Equals Security website and help us continue doing everything that we're doing. So we had an interesting discussion before we started, Brian. Um, what do you think? Is it Patreon or Patreon? Whenever I see that word, for whatever reason, I think of Harry Potter and Aspecto Patronum. Oh. And so it always makes me think Patreon. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. That but makes everyone sense. who knows me knows me well enough never to trust me when it comes to pronunciation of words. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, good enough. Good enough. I always say Patreon, but I have no idea what the right answer is. So We're going with Patreon. And then finally, if you are not um, up for sponsoring us financially, which is perfectly fine, we would love it if you just told a friend about Colorado Equals Security, uh, pass on the word, have them go to the website, listen to the podcast, use all of the resources that we have put out there. Um, the more, the merrier. So before we jump into the news, I also want to thank one of our new patrons this week, uh, Timothy O'Brien with Educause. Thanks. Um, signed up for our $10 a month. So he gets a shout out on this podcast and a free t-shirt. So again, thank you for the support. Um, we love all of our Patreon supporters. It helps us cover the costs that we incur for doing Colorado Equals Security. All of that money goes directly back into the podcast, the web hosting, equipment, t-shirts, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, thanks, uh, Tim O'Brien. We appreciate that. And let's jump into the news. So um, got a little theme here at the, the beginning of the news um, the first story, you know, millennials happen to be flocking to Denver, among other places. So it, a, uh, an article came out this week saying that Houston was at the top of the list for net migration of what they are calling young adults, um, what some of us refer to lovingly as millennials. And uh, followed by that was Denver and Dallas. 
So Denver had an average of 12,667 millennials migrating here per year. That seems like a, a lot of millennials. That is a lot of millennials. But as we know, there are a lot of people coming to Denver in general. Yeah, so um, overall, though, in terms of uh, metro areas in the top five, uh, Texas was the best in terms of uh, millennial migration. Um, they had, a, in total, 32,398 millennials per year, uh, followed by Washington and then by Colorado. So still in the top three. So we're getting, getting lots of millennials here. Uh, the big losers for millennials... They were New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. So I, I don't know if I would have guessed that or not. I guess millennials are not fans of the really big cities. I don't know. It's The Chicago one surprises me most, right? I can yeah. see some of the shifts from New York and L.A. because of cost of living. But Colorado, I mean, I was born a couple hours north of there. It's an awesome city to be in, unless it's three weeks ago, <laughs> in which case it earned everything you've heard about it being freezing cold in the winter. Exactly. Uh, so next... Um, next, let's talk about traffic. Yeah, so but... I think probably tied hand in hand there, more millennials come to Denver, and Denver's traffic is not great. Now, the good news is it's worse in 18 other cities, which yeah, sounds about right to me. That sounds about right. You know, I think uh, people in, in the Denver area like to complain about the traffic a lot. Uh, I think it's a little bit historical in that, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, um, things were pretty empty, so there was not a whole lot of traffic here at all. And so relatively, maybe it is a lot worse. But I have been in a lot of places where traffic is a lot worse. That That's my feeling as well. Coming from several years out in the D.C. area, I will never <laughs> complain about Colorado traffic. And let's be honest, I think traffic is something you always complain about no matter where you are. That's, that's true. So there were 18 cities that were ranked above Denver in terms of bad traffic. The top five were Boston, D.C., Chicago, New York, and L.A. Those are not a surprise to me. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting is um, in Boston, which, as I said, was the leader, rush hour commuters lost an estimated 164 hours in traffic last year. That is a whole lot of time. I could do a lot of things in 164 hours. Same here. And to give you an idea of scale, that compares to Denver, which was a loss of 83 hours ah. of congestion. So we're, we're twice as good as Boston, or half as bad, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> the great thing I will say about traffic and the things we have these days is when you do have to drive, you have great podcasts like Colorado Equal that, Security right. and others, so you have something great to pass your time. You know, I have to say, though, I'm never caught up on all the podcasts I want to listen to, so maybe I should move to Boston so I have more time and traffic to listen to podcasts. It could be that. It also comes down to what speed do you listen to, though, at? Yeah, I'm a one-and-a-half guy. I can't go past one-and-a-half. Start aiming for two. Man, um, especially the any podcast where someone has an accent, uh, once I get past one-and-a-half, maybe if you are you know, with a good sort of neutral Midwestern accent... I could go up to two, but anybody else, it, it drives me crazy. Solid use of good and Midwestern. Yep. I like it. So uh, so next story, something that maybe we would help us with some of this traffic. Uh, Navigant released a report talking about automated vehicle deployments. Um, we're expected to reach 34 million automated vehicles on the roads by 2035. So that seems like a pretty big number. Um, they're using a term that I hadn't heard before, which is highly automated vehicles. I always hear them um, referred to as autonomous vehicles, but uh, maybe that's the official term. Um, so um, they're supposed to be about 2.6 million by 2024, 
And then we get that really big ramp up to about 34 million by 2035. Um, also, deployments are expected to be sort of limited um, until about 2024. And then I think that's when we really start to see that, that rapid rise. Um, but, you know, maybe that will help us get even lower on the, the traffic index. Where do you think it's going to start? Do you think it's going to start with consumer vehicles? Do you think it's going to be, you know, freight carriers? And will it be in cities or in rural areas? Yeah, well, I think as we're already seeing, you can have a, a both a car and I think probably some freight vehicles that can do, you know, semi-autonomous, mm -hmm. right? So it's, hey, I need to be sitting there driving, either having my hands on the wheel or being paying attention or whatever. And, you know, I can hit a button and um, have it work for me for a little while. Um, I think that the hard part is going to be the in those those edge cases, right? So if you're in a city, if you're um, you know in some place that things can change unexpectedly, it's it's obviously harder for those autonomous vehicles to work. So I could definitely see sort of long haul trucking maybe being one of those first places. You're out on the interstate highway, you know that you just have to drive straight um, and maybe make a couple little lefts and rights you know, for several hundred miles, that's pretty easy to, to automate. So I would guess that that's probably where the, the first highly automated ones will be. I, those are the ones that get me most excited. Growing yeah. up in a family, you know, who had a truck driving business and still does a lot of that, the idea of, you know, what Tesla is building around long haul carriers and trucking routes like that being run by mostly autonomous vehicles, yeah. especially if you think of things like I-70 or I-80 across the middle of the country. Yeah. What an awesome place to be able to automate that and let people let runs run longer, higher safety, less accidents. That gets me excited. Yeah, um, I will say it does remind me a little bit of those couple scenes in Logan, the you know the, exactly. the, the last um, uh, Wolverine movie where you know there's all these autonomous <laughs> trucks driving by and they're kind of not you know paying attention to anybody else and you know maybe running people off the road a little bit and anyway um, is that any different than your normal I, run I down i-70 right I now i guess that's true i guess that's true <laughs> um, uh, similarly related the hyperloop which would be purely consumer they were running a test track up in colorado and that unfortunately is no more after a revo is shutting down yeah, so we had talked about a couple stories within the last year of potential Hyperloop-like test tracks. Um, and this company, Arivo, got a grant, um, looks like a little over $250,000, um, to do a test track. And, you know, the idea there is, you know, e Elon Musk kind of came up with this idea. It's sort of the uh, the vacuum tube analogy where, you know, back in the day, the banks, you'd get the little, little thing, shove your money in there and... <laughs> Their money goes into into the teller. Instead, we would be putting people in there and and you know vacuum tubing them around places. So there was going to be this test track, but apparently they couldn't get the money and decided to to close down. So oh well. But the good news is we still retain one of them. It looks like the Virgin Hyperloop is still going to be doing some testing in Colorado. Nice. So we well, I look forward to that one. Richard Branson set of companies here, which will mean. In Regardless of how well it works, you'll have a great time. <laughs> That's right. Luxury hyperlooping. Sounds like a dream to me. Yep. Uh, next, we had a, a story about uh, Colorado's uh, 2019 Girls Go Cyber Start program. Uh, this was, again, something that we talked about last year. This is the second time it's being run. Um, the state of Colorado, in conjunction with SANS, is running this program and uh, girls can participate, sounds sort of like a, a CTF 
sort of competition and the, the best participants can win cash prizes. So it looks like you can get cash, you can get scholarships. Um, I didn't see any quotes in here, but I do remember uh, some quotes last year from Debbie Blythe. So um, I know that this is something that the, the state is very proud of. Um, also, the this is for girls nine to 12, or sorry, in grades nine to 12. And registration opened on February 18th and the play begins on March 20th. So if you have high school aged girls, you should have them sign up. Yep, definitely have them sign up. Looks like an awesome program and send us feedback about how well it works and how we can help get others involved. Um, next, we have a great article from Logarithm, a CTO's take on the security operations maturity model from Chris Peterson over at Logarithm and was a lot of fun to read through. That article gives you a great sense of how security programs can be built and focusing on what I've always thought are two of your primary KPIs in a security program, which is your time to detect and time to respond. So highly recommend read that from Chris and definitely implement whatever you can. Yeah, I completely agree. We had Chris on as an interview a couple of weeks back. Um, great stuff there. And yeah, I mean, it really goes into depth on um, not only those metrics, but on you know some, some things that you can do to help implement those metrics. I know for a long time, uh, there there weren't great thoughts around metrics for security operations. It was, well, you know, how many events did you respond to and, you know, other things like that that really don't tell you how good a job that you're doing. So I, I love that these metrics are coming out more and uh, and that they're being pushed. So, so good stuff there. One of the things I really liked as well is that he gave good guidance and created this grid that says, based on how many months, weeks, days, or hours your mean time to detection is, how would you maybe map that to a level of security operations maturity? Yeah. You know, a lot of times we talk about these things in the abstract. You know, Chris here says, if your mean time to detect and respond is in the days time frame, you're a level one. You make it to a level four if you're talking minutes. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I think, and it goes hand in hand with a, a recent research report that I think CrowdStrike came out with talking about how um, the, the a metric that they were using, which was essentially time to lateral movement mm -hmm. um, for nation state attackers. And I think the best um, was was in a matter of minutes. So I think that the uh, those operations, security operations metrics match right up uh, well with those uh, those types of, of models that the we're actually seeing from the attackers. So, Absolutely. Good stuff. And then final news story, um, we actually had a blog this week from Red Canary. Um, so Brian, I don't know if you want to comment on the blog at all. You probably have some inside information. I definitely can. I mean, I would, it's a ton of fun, especially for me to get to read these blog posts. This is in what our team calls their thready threat series, <laughs> where they actually take a threat that they identified during the week and write up what they saw and kind of go as a deeper dive. And in this case, talking about a pretty typical topic, defense evasion and phishing emails, with what feels to me like an old school spin. So yep. instead of gaining persistence and instead of targeting and coming in with your normal phishing attachments, they came in with an ISO. And so Alex and I were talking beforehand, we were remembering back to the ISO images we had and all of the crappy shareware software we yep. needed to mount them and run things off them. 
this adversary actually figured out how to put the malware on the ISO and then keep it persistent with the AT.exe tool. And so all around fun read, Frank's an awesome author and telling these stories, so I learned a lot. Good stuff. All right, so that is the end of the news. Let's jump over to the Slack message of the week. Thanks again to Andre Gata, who sponsors our Slack message of the week. Uh, he has been doing this out of his own pocket for an awful long time now. And of course, if you win the Slack message of the week, uh, you will be given a credit to choose something from the Colorado Equals Security Store. Uh, so this week, our Slack message of the week was from Jimmy Woodard. So thanks, Jimmy. And you get the award for uh, starting, well, requesting to start the CTF channel in the, the Slack workspace. So uh, we had a, a nice conversation with some folks talking about uh, potentially doing some CTFs, getting together um, with people in the community and, and going through those. And, and Jimmy said, hey, I'm going to do this. I have one that I want to do. Let's start a channel, get some people together and go through the CTF together. I do have to say that there was definitely a lot of chatter on that within the, the last 24 hours, people actually working together doing some CTFs. So that was pretty cool to see. So uh, thanks, Jimmy. We will get you hooked up with Andre to get your free Colorado Equals Security swag. So let's go ahead and now jump over to events. Uh, first on the list, we would like to remind everyone that tickets for Snowfrock are on sale. Um, I know that these are limited in quantity, so I don't know if there are even uh, tickets still available. Uh, but this is uh, coming up quick here, 18, 19 days um, until the uh, the conference itself. This, of course, is the uh, Front Range OWASP AppSec conference. So you should go ahead and check that out. Go to snowfrock.com to get more details. And speaking of the CTF, Snowfrock was actually the first ever CTF I participated in. Nice. Yeah, they ran an awesome program there. Yeah, they do. it's a great conference. I will be there. Looking forward to it. Um, on February 26th, we have the Managed Security Services Forum in Denver. Uh, also on the 26th, SecureSet is doing a cybersecurity career convo with Jason Zafudo on pen testing. The day afterward on the 27th, the CTA, our Colorado Technology Association, is holding their technology day at the Capitol. Um, again, on the 27th, the ISC Squared Pikes Peak chapter in Colorado Springs is doing their February chapter meeting. The NCC is hosting the Smalls meeting on the 28th. On the 1st of March, SecureSet is doing a capture the flag for their cybersecurity hackathon. And then back to the NCC on March 6th, we have Beyond Bitcoin, Blockchain 101 for Beginners. So if you want to be a blockchain wizard, go get your start there. And then our last event for the week, SecureSet is doing another Hacking 101, but this is on PowerShell on the 7th of March. So if you're interested in learning about PowerShell, go check that out. Those are all of the events. So let's go ahead and jump over to Jobs. Um, Rob is not here to talk it up, but he still does have one job that is open. If you are into security operations, then Ping is hiring a manager of security operations and engineering. So go check that out. Highly recommend. Who would not want to work for Rob? Uh, exactly. I, Who would I, not frankly, want to? I would do it regardless I've, of what the I've title thought is. about it, but you know. <laughs> Maybe we should both apply and see who wins. <laughs> That's right. Let's both apply. You probably have more experience. So, uh, yeah. Hey, I, I, run a, I run a security operations company. Uh, maybe I'm qualified for this job. Anyway. Arrow is hiring a senior incident response security engineer. 
Western Union is looking for a senior info security analyst. NREL is looking for an energy systems cyber physical security researcher if you want to cross the kinetic barriers. Yes, we had talked, I don't know if it was the same job or one similar, but um, NREL has got some really cool sounding jobs lately. You know, cyber physical and energy systems, that sounds really, really cool. Uh, Denver Health is looking for an IS analyst security two. Great West brings together security and legal and is looking for a legal counsel focused on privacy. CenturyLink is looking for an information security engineer. And this one was actually in Broomfield, so I'm guessing it is the uh, level three side of CenturyLink. U.S. Bank is looking for an information security systems architect. Uh, Kaiser Permanente is looking for a threat intelligence sorry, cyber threat intelligence undergrad intern. So if you have kids that are in undergrad and want an internship for the summer, have them check that out. And finally, Valentium is looking for a medical device cybersecurity systems engineer. So a neat mix of general purpose and general focus information security, as well as some specifics on energy and medical devices. Yeah, that again looked like a cool job. Um, it looked like Valentium is maybe a, um, a development group that does development around medical devices. So... Good to see that they're trying to hire some security people as well. So that brings us to the end of the newscast. We will now get over to our feature interview. And this week's feature interview is with David Walpoff, who is CTO of Randori. We kind of uh, teased this last week. Rob sat down with him, um, talked about Randori and what it is that they do. Brian, you know uh, David, and I'm sure if I say David that it sounds a little bit weird to you because um, I think most people call him Moose. Exactly. I know him very well as Moose. He and I actually worked together back at Mantech back in D.C., then at Kairos where we spun Red Canary out of, and Randori is actually the latest company and has a lot of the team members that I got to work with there. So there is, frankly, no one better at network operations and simulating adversaries than those guys. So really excited to see what they're doing with Randori. Nice. Uh, well, everyone will get to hear from him about what they're doing. So uh, check out the interview, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Sounds Brian. great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. This is Robert Wood, VP of Security at Alps Fund Services. This is Colorado Equals Security. First Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Uh, welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is Rob, and today I'm sitting with Moose. Uh, David Walpoff, you are the, I believe, CTO and co-founder for uh, Randori? Yeah. CTO right? and co-founder of Randori, yep. Awesome. Right. And, I, and I, I bet that there is at least one person listening who doesn't know what Randori is. Um, so we're going to fix that for them. Sweet. But let's not do that yet. <laughs> let's, let's start off by uh, by talking a little bit about your own background and yourself. And, and one of the things I, I love to do as we start these conversations is, is kind of get into your head. And let's just say I take away your computers from you and you have to do something else um, what would you like to be doing? Uh, I would throw the truck in four and I'd be up in the mountains fishing or camping somewhere. So yeah, get away from the, the people in the scene down on the, on the flatland. So when you're, when you're up in the mountains camping, uh, are you, can, can you open up your eyes and see the stars? Or are you looking at a tent or the inside of a truck? What are you looking at? Uh, well, so most of the time, if I'm up, uh, me and the missus be out there uh, hammock camping most of the time. So definitely looking at the stars unless it is raining actively on my head. Uh, in which case, you maybe throw the tarp over the top, but pretty much just uh, wilderness in the, the sky. So hammock camping, uh, I am a, I'm the biggest fan of hammocks that I'm aware of. I love to lay on a hammock. Do I you have, have an office hammock? Uh, I don't have an office hammock, but I do have two hammocks at my house. Nice. And I'm the only one who uses either of them. So it's, 
you know, that's, that's pretty good considering the ratio there. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. Uh, but I've never hammock camped. I assume what that means is you go find two trees that are about the right distance apart. Yep. Set up. That's pretty much it. Two trees, about the right distance. Uh, I usually carry a reasonable amount of cord so I can get some good distance, but yeah. uh, it does limit your camping above tree line for sure. So this, um, this is a family podcast, but I'm going to ask you a question. When you're, hammock, when you're hammock camping with your wife, is this a one hammock situation or a two hammock situation? Uh, well, you can do both if you really want to. Uh, it, it can get uh, difficult, I guess. Uh, but no, usually we have our own for sleeping yeah. at least. <laughs> we'll leave it, leave it at that. All right, so you mentioned, you talked about fishing and, and I, yeah. at least you mentioned to me earlier, fly fishing specifically. So um, I have, I would say I have fly fished. I'm not a fly fisherman. Yeah, I, um, I think that's all of us. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was nothing at all like what I um, what I saw in A River Runs Through It when I did it. Yeah. Uh, was no Brad Pitt. Um, I, I'd ask you, like, when you fly fish, you know, are, are you standing on the side of a river? Are you on a boat? Are you uh, in the middle of a river? How do you do it? Uh, usually in the summers in Colorado, just waiting. So river shoes, yeah. standing in the middle of a river uh, fishing uh, this time of year, more from shore. Yeah. Uh, if I can get on a boat, great. But you know, most of the water is in Colorado in the mountains. Not so much. Mostly just wading around. Yeah. That's a good excuse to be out out in the wilderness, I think. So, do you have a a favorite fish that you've caught? And this is fishtails, so you can tell me whatever you want, and I'll believe you. Uh, you know, I gotta say, I was up in the uh, Yellowstone River uh, outside of Livingston, Montana, uh, and just caught a gorgeous little rainbow. It wasn't enormous. It was just uh, the first fish that I caught on that river, uh, and it was incredibly impossible for me because I'm also a terrible fisherman. Uh, and all the fish up there are smart, and they're used to much better fishermen than me. I finally got one, and it was awesome. That's awesome. Um, and so I, the, the one that you catch, I guess. The one you catch is the best one. Yeah. So I I have actually only – I haven't fished in Colorado for quite a while, um, I, but I got the opportunity to go fishing in Alaska, which I believe has spoiled me for anywhere else in the world. That's uh, my that's yes. my guess. <laughs> so when, I, when you go fishing in Alaska, at least where I did, like, you know, you're catching a fish every – three to five minutes. It's just ridiculous how quick you're catching fish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, is it more in Colorado for you uh, an exercise in doing nothing, or are you catching fish on a regular basis? Uh, up in the mountains, you catch a lot of fish. Do you? Uh, you know, not big stuff, right? But the little little mountain river mm. trout are hungry and stupid, and so they bite pretty much everything. Uh, if you're fishing here in town, you can actually fish here in downtown Denver. At the, um, at the Cherry Creek River? Yeah, you, at the Confluence Park is a yeah. good spot. Um, and you can pull some pretty decent fish out of there. Uh, yeah. But they are wily, and you <laughs> need to be a little better. You're not the only one trying to get them. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. Cool. Well, that's fun, and I, hopefully uh, some of those folks listening here might connect with you and talk about getting off the grid and yeah, doing that for sure, stuff. Yeah, for that's sure. That's pretty cool. Uh, let's talk about your background now. I, I know you're one of the very few native Coloradans I've had in the podcast. Uh, I, yeah, born and raised in Colorado. Which part of, what part of the state are you in, or from? I grew up in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, born and raised there, and then after college, I went and lived on the East Coast for a bunch of years, and now I'm back in Denver. What's your high school? Uh, Fairview. Fairview, all right. Yeah. And then where'd you go to college? Uh, CU Boulder. For, all right. Uh, finished a master's degree there. and you, what, you did Your bachelor's and master's mm-hmm. both yep. there? Both electrical. All the way through? Yep, electrical engineering. And wow. One of those crazy few who stuck through it. But. <laughs> well, what was your uh, plan when you got the, the EE degrees? What were you looking to do? Uh, you know, it's an excellent question. I started out uh, doing interning up in Longmont, doing electrical engineering, like intern work uh, yeah. late high school. Huh. Um, and that kind of convinced me that all the electrical engineers that I met were smart. I wanted to do that because it seemed cool. Hmm. Uh, I didn't really have a plan. I uh, got into doing embedded systems and electronics design. 
Yeah. Uh, and then in math, when I was doing my grad school master's degree, I was just studying cryptography, which is just like math, right? Just math. And I was looking for gigs that put together electrical engineering, embedded systems design, and crypto. And so that kind of kicked me into this whole career field. Awesome. But no, no plan per se, just good luck. Well, I think the most of us got here on accident, right? And, <laughs> I think so. Uh, you know, you uh, create some skills, have some fun, and all of a sudden you're in security. And, yeah, well, I love uh, what you do, right? But yeah, So the I, I wanted just a little bit more on EE. Did you, did you do any design, like creating... Circuit boards, or what kind of what kind of work did you do? Oh yeah, I mean, I still have uh, my own soldering iron that I uh, am loath to let other people touch, and I occasionally still will design circuit boards. Yeah. Uh, you know, in college it was very expensive. Now it's way cheaper. Yeah. Um, I did a turn working at SparkFun up in Boulder. Uh, I guess now they're Gun Barrel, huh. um, and so kind of got into the early maker scene and was connected with all that stuff. And it's just been a wild ride. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I worked at a at a chip plant uh, called Variel here in town and we had we basically made um, chips for cell cell base stations back when mm -hmm. you know yeah. when we were wiring the whole world it, it was a good business to be in um, and there was a bunch of EEs there and I was always uh, I was always interested in what they did uh, anyway so I have yeah. a little bit of interest in what you did yeah, for sure, all right for so sure. talk to me you know obviously the skills you know getting into cryptography that's a pretty uh, pretty short line to getting into security. How, how did it, how did you formally you know go from hey I got an interest in this I learned about some cryptography to saying I'm going to get a career there? Yeah, uh, so uh, one of my advisors was trying to get me to do a PhD, yeah. um, and I was done with school. Uh, just needed to go do something else for a while, so I decided to get out. Uh, started looking literally Monster.com, looking for jobs that had keywords that were you know good fit for the skills I had. Uh, ended up uh, interviewing with a company out in uh, DC. Uh, doing digital forensics. Hmm. Uh, and so I transitioned from doing like embedded system design to embedded systems reverse engineering and hardware forensics. Was that for like incident response uh, or something else? Uh, this is mostly in support of overseas conflict. Um, so hmm. this is like heyday of Iraq and Afghanistan. And so okay. like a lot of like digital forensics. So I figured out like how to get data out of things. Hmm. And then I would teach uh, people how to use those techniques elsewhere. So that sounds like uh, a... Uh, potentially troublesome skill set to have. Uh, I can yeah. I can see that you know they, that could be used for good or for evil, huh? Well, I mean it was it was in support of U.S. government stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you see a lot of the same things show up in law enforcement. So people, um, you know, nowadays with you know things like the Celebrate technology having made it all the way through the news, right, and people having heard about all of the kind of digital forensics becoming a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I got into mobile device forensics and embedded systems forensics, you know, before the iPhone was a thing, right? Yeah. So before we had smartphones and um, figuring out, you know, when phones were just media, how to treat them like a hard drive and get all the data out and you process yeah. it. Uh, and then as uh, technology advanced, uh, cell phones became these embedded computing platforms that are incredibly powerful uh, and got, you know, secured and hardened and resistant. Um, I got into hacking into cell phones for forensics. Yeah. Um, you know, at that point, mostly commercial support that we were doing. Um, so the companies I was with were doing like, uh, we would do software development that would then show up as the product that some you know popular forensics company would be selling out to people. Those types of things. Uh, and a lot of what I was doing was just developing you know zero day vulnerabilities for mobile devices so we could break into phones and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that turned into a career of breaking into phones and then breaking into everything else and kind of went over to the dark side and just got into, you know breaking into software, breaking into systems of software, breaking yeah. into corporations so, and stuff. So let's walk through that a little bit at a time. So you, you went to the company in, in D.C. Yeah, yeah. What's the name of the company? Uh, so I worked for Mantech for a while. Mantech, okay. Yeah. So you, when you're working for Mantech, you know, you're, you're helping that, you know, 
get, learn how to reverse engineer and get into these systems. Yep. How, long, how long did you do that? Uh, digital forensics for about four years with them. Okay. And then, you know, what did that lead to for you next? Also, I took a gig with a company called Kairos Technologies. Oh, yeah. Kairos. Uh, Kairos is, um, I guess, now fairly well known in that they've spun out a couple of things, including Carbon, uh, Black. Carbon Black, Red Canary. Yeah. Um, and so I got in early with that crew. Um, spent a lot of time helping them build out their forensics and uh, offensive computing research stuff. And then yeah. we worked with uh, that crew building out an offering we called Hacker on Retainer, which was mm. like high-end red teaming. Um, so kind of like pen test on crack, yeah. breaking into big companies. What is it? What is a pen test on crack look like? Maybe walk me through an interesting story there. Yeah, so um, the types of engagements we were doing, we were trying to figure out, um, you're really experimenting around what should a red team engagement or a pen test really look like? What's the value proposition? What do you want to do? Um, and so we got into this uh, high-end goal-oriented attack stuff that we were doing where uh, we'd work with a customer, it's a big corporate client, and try to figure out what are you worried about a hacker or a group of hackers or criminal enterprise or a nation state doing to your business? And you know, what would actually go wrong? What are you trying to protect, right? All the conversations that you would expect like a CISO would have had with a CEO and very few ever actually do, right? Yeah. Um, and so we'd go through that dialogue and then we'd put a bounty on different objectives that they thought a hacker could. Flag, right? Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So hey, if you can get to our source code, we'll pay you this much. If you can steal a code signing key, it's gonna look like that. Get to the CEO's email, it'll look like this. Um, and so we try to incentive align the uh, attack in the same way or a similar way that you'd see like an actual adversary incentive align their attacks, right? They go after stuff for a reason. Um, so try to figure out, you know, objective and incentive alignment and then, you know, go do the hacks, right? Um, so in a typical engagement, we'd be dropping, you know, one or two like custom zero day that we were developing against these organizations. And uh, we had one client um, that, I, you know, you kind of feel bad for some people that get kind of caught up in the fray, but like process engineer working for a very big company going to a conference is worried about the uh, precision water control system in one of their industrial processes. Goes to a network engineer and says, hey, put this controller on the internet so that I can reach it while I'm at a conference. Um, so we're monitoring their perimeter over the course of maybe 60 days. We haven't been able to get into the company at all. It's you know, starting to look bad for us. Um, guy plugs something into the internet. Hey, that's weird, what's that thing? Um, find a firmware image for the device <coughs> online, download it tear it apart, uh, find a couple of vulnerabilities in it, get into this device, pivot mm -hmm. through that into their network, wow. uh, ended up lingering inside their infrastructure for like 111 days or something all wow. told. Um, so this is, this is so, a pretty long engagement. This is not a... Uh, yeah, we were doing a minimum six months, ideally a year of wow. engagements for companies with very advanced security postures. Yeah. So. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, you had, and you had to feel bad for that guy, right? <laughs> well, I mean, he's just trying to do his job, right? Yeah. But and he, and he probably thought he did it pretty securely. It sounds like he didn't just like open up a port to the internet either. No, they they they, uh, they did it. You know, I mean, the security office didn't know about it, right? Of course. Um, yeah. But you know, you find all kinds of fun stuff picking on applications like that. Yeah. You know, if you um, have a login page and I just put a whole bunch of A's into the password field and the thing goes away for, you know, ninety two seconds while it reboots, it's a good indicator that something's gone wrong. Yeah. So, any other stories about about that you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, we could go all over the place with yeah. these types of things. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you were how, how long were you at Kairos? Uh oh man, long time. So 2011 to end of uh, beginning of 2018. So seven oh, years. Oh man, eight holy years. smokes! Yeah. yeah. You, okay. So you got to see 
uh, you know, the spin outs. And, oh yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, yeah. So definitely, I learned so much from that crowd. A bunch of very bright people, and then obviously, you know, getting to just have access to what became this giant behemoth of you know carbon black. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, the I remember Red Canary before it was a thing with the name of Red Canary, right? So. Yeah. So I know Brian's <clears throat> came from Kairos. Did did it, Brian Bear? Yep. Uh, did any of the other team come from there as well? Uh, I think Chris and Keith McCann both, both were also over there for a yeah. while, and uh, yeah, it's, it's how big is Kairos? I guess I don't, I don't know much about the company. I don't think it's ever been more than maybe forty people. Okay, so pretty peak. small. So you so it's know pretty small, one. but yeah. you know, every time it would get pretty big, it seemed like we would spin out another company and mm-hmm. you know lose a bunch of people to the new endeavor. What yeah, so. is Kairos? How how does how does a company that other than Carbon Black and Red Canary I had never heard of? Yeah. How does a company that you know, like I said, I never heard of? You know, create multiple product organizations that are you know, so interesting. Well, it's principally a services company, uh, but I got to say that um, the the founders of the company had a really great vision of how to treat people well. Yeah. You know, they kind of learned the lesson of big corporate about what treating employees badly looks like, mm-hmm. and then kind of took the mantra of "don't do that." Yeah. Um, and so they just really thought about how do you incent people to be innovative? How do you create a space where people can thrive? Um, and then mostly just get out of the way, and then when you see a cool idea, you you run with it. So, you know, the thing that I really liked in running a team there was I had a tremendous amount of autonomy, but it was also backstopped by a bunch of really bright people. Yeah. You know, and so it's always a great opportunity to uh, have somebody, um, you know, basically funding your science experiments, and then if you have a cool idea, out pops, you know, Red Canary. Right? Yeah. So how, I have multiple questions here. Yeah. You worked for Kairos from, you said, 11 to 18, something like uh, that? Yeah, something like that. Um, were, were you, but you weren't in D.C. that whole time? Uh, no, I was not. In the middle of that, we moved back to Colorado. What, uh, why is that? Why did you move back? So my wife and I both have family here, okay. uh, trying to be helpful to the to the parents and family. Did, did you move her out to D.C. with you? Then yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Gig? So when okay. we first got married, it was uh, we got married, and then I jumped in a car and drove to D.C. And, for the interview? Yeah, right? took, took a gig, oh. and then a month later, she moved out. Okay. So, yeah. So you guys were looking for a way to get back, and Kairos kind of let that happen? Yeah, yeah. They were tremendous about it. Uh, now, of course, there's a big uh, crew of their people still here uh, that I just love dearly. It's a great team. Where Do they have an office in town? Uh, they do. Where's that? Uh, it's down south, so not in Denver. Tech Center area? Not, yeah, not, not in Denver proper. Okay, cool. So I didn't know that. Um, so you, and you said you led a team. What what was your team? Was it the, pen, the advanced pen testing team? Uh, yeah, yeah. So reverse engineering, like all the stuff that I might call offensive computing, but yeah. really figuring out how to break stuff as yeah. opposed to just defend stuff. And, and then did you, did you guys do that as like a... Uh, to create tools for your pen testing to work with, or as like you know, customers would ask you, can you reverse engineer this for us? Or how did that? Uh, yeah, work? it was all kinds of stuff. So anything from hey, tear me apart, tear this apart, and do a security assessment of it, to yeah. hey, here's you know, break into this you know company, you know, come after us and do this. To uh, my personal favorite was always hey, a nation state just you know came and messed us up, and here's the after action report of everything that happened. Can you guys do all of this again? Hmm. Yes, yes, we can. Very cool. All right. So obviously something happened along the way that gave you an idea, right? Uh, well, yeah. I assume while you were working at Kairos, <laughs> maybe you can talk about where, where this idea came from and like kind of what that led to. Yeah. So uh, through the series of inner business connections that occur, I got to know uh, Brian Hazard, who is um, one of the early employees at a company called Bit9 that then acquired, merged, whatever, with Carbon Black and became yeah. the big thing that it is now. They so, bought Carbon Black and took their name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it was a better name. Uh, Hadn't been breached too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So uh, Brian and I got together uh, by way of 
Mike Viscuso, who is uh, still a principal over at Carbon Black. He was one of the founders of Carbon Black and a founder of Kairos. Uh, he and I had worked together years prior as well, so just you know, known this kind of crew for a long period of time. And literally sitting at dinner chatting with uh, Brian about um, you know, the state of security, um, kind of brainstorming around like how to uh, bring the experience that we were giving people through this kind of red team engagement, but at scale. Right, uh, and what were the real like value propositions that you can bring from providing a hacker experience? Right, because um, you know a lot of times you go break into companies and you know, people would feel like you just showed up and punched them in the face and then walked away, and that's kind of a tough sales pitch to run with, right? But everybody that we did this to really loved it, and so there was a lot of uh, hemming and hawing about what is it about the experience of getting beaten up on uh, that people are finding valuable, and there's a couple of things that stick out to me. Um, most notably in all the companies that I've breached, it's been really rare for anybody to ask me how to fix something. Mm. You know, most of the problems that we run into are more structural, institutional, uh, political, right? Technology is generally pretty good. Um, and so we're really just brainstorming around, hey, how could you give people this, like the red team experience, right? And that different perspective um, in a way that, you know, is scalable. And we basically said, uh, what, we, what we came to was, if you just build this um, attack platform, right, this you know, theoretical infrastructure that we all assume that nation states and high-end criminal organizations have, and then instead of using it just to break into companies, actually turn it around and let companies see how the wolves look at the sheep, hmm. you know, people could uh, get this experience but without having to pay for the you know, people behind an right. expensive red team. Um, and you know, a bunch of hemming and hawing about names later out pops uh, Randori. So who is part of this founding team? And you mentioned a few names, I want to be really clear on that. Yeah, yeah, so uh, Brian Hazard and myself are the two uh, co-founders of the company, and then we pulled, uh, pulled in early a number of advisors, uh, as well as some early uh, teammates. And so it's just been a wild ride ever since. And, uh, and I, um, I don't want to skip over the, the name thing. Randori, it doesn't immediately bring anything to mind for me. Does it, have a comp does it mean something? Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely does. Uh, it's, so it's a term from uh, jiu-jitsu, which I do not do, but uh, one of my longtime teammates, Evan Anderson, uh, is a guy who rolls and likes to choke people unconscious. Um, and as we were drinking whiskey and talking about what names of companies should be, uh, we kept coming back to this concept of practice how you fight. Mm. Um, and Randori really means that. It's this mm. uh, free-form unscripted practice. So if you've ever seen like a martial arts flick where some dude's in the middle of a circle just getting attacked right. by a bunch of people, like we're not going to kill you, but we're definitely going to make it seem real. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the Randori. Okay. That, that's really cool. I didn't know that. And, so is that Japanese? Chinese. Uh, yeah, is. Japanese. Maybe I should know this. All right. um, so very cool. Japanese for practice like you fight. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if, I, like, I don't know the whole, like, cultural construction of it. Yeah. I know that it's used very much in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. Yeah, Which, of okay. course, has roots in the Japanese martial right. arts. So, um, so, so you, you've kind of given a high level, you know, exposing how the hackers see you, but that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, so it doesn't, mean, give any, me more well, it doesn't what, mean anything to anybody, right? Yeah, what, what, is that, what, what do you actually do? Yeah, so uh, we have two offerings today. Um, so, like, full disclosure, right? we're brand new. We've been around for a year. Um, and the technology that we brought into the company um, is all about reconnaissance and discovery, right? So we start with no information about a company, you know, plug in an email address, and from that, automatically build out this huge uh, map of what the company looks like. So discovery of all of the technical and social assets that make up the institution. Um, and then we stack rank all of that based on this idea that we have called target temptation, which is like, 
how does a hacker view this piece of software asset or component? Um, and then after that, it's all about how do you attack a piece? What can you do with that? And then having attacked a piece, what happens after that? So we're providing a, a capability to bring the entire kill chain of a breach, right, from zero knowledge, blind reconnaissance, all the way through you know, exfiltration, internal pivoting, you know, objectives on target, right? And we're doing that in a way that's uh, automated. So it feels to me like I just heard several things that you kind of put together. Oh, there's a lot of stuff there, yeah. I heard, um, I heard some of some of what sounds a little bit like what you might get from like digital shadows or, or someone mm -hmm. where they're basically like looking to see what you're, what you look like from the outside. And maybe even a little bit of like a, a bit cider security scorecard where you're you know like looking you know you know going to Aaron and figuring out what your IP addresses are looking to see do I yeah. you know what do I see that kind of behavior yeah um, and then maybe taking it a little bit further to say okay now that I've identified those things I'm going to do some I'm just guessing now like a vuln scanning type activities against those yeah against those assets yes yeah, so what we're trying to do is provide uh, <clears throat> the same experience that. A customer would have gotten from me breaking into their company with a team of you know red teamers but without having to have the team of red teamers right so um, when you look at um, the things that were difficult about doing like high-end red teaming uh, was really how do you apply how do you make the economics work right because zero day is expensive uh, exploits are expensive attacking is expensive but everybody's got the same infrastructure everybody's company looks like everybody else's company so if you start uh, looking at grand scale companies as a whole, right, all of a sudden you can apply you know, economies of scale to doing attack. So we start with no information about a company. Com company signs up and you're welcome to you know, go to our website and register for the beta if you want to try it out. Um, and from nothing but an email address, we'll build up a picture of all of the discoverable assets of a company from an external perspective. And we include in that you know, things like you said, all the IPs and servers and infrastructure and whatever is poking around on the internet that we can find. Um, and we've got a lot of, you know, a lot of technology that we use to do that in an automated and pretty quick way. And once we know about stuff, we keep an eye on it. You know, just, hey, is that thing still there? Has it changed? Is the version updated? Has it been patched? What's going on? Um, on top of that, yeah, we've got a fair amount of, like, vulnerability discovery. But we're not super interested today in trying to just replace the Vuln scanning component, right? I assume that if you're a reasonable security company, you know how to run a Vuln scanner against your infrastructure, you're paying somebody to do that. Um, but if you don't know about the infrastructure, you're probably not scanning it. Um, mm -hmm. We're pretty good at finding stuff that you might not know about or if something flickers or comes online for some period of time. Um, but where most recon companies, right, are gonna stop there, you know, and our objective is not to be a recon company. Our objective is to be an attack company. Um, so we go from that to, hey, what of these assets can we attack? How can we attack them? Press button and receive an attack against these assets. And then having attacked an asset, what happens? You know, you know, great, you've got some unpatched thing, right? Everybody's got an unpatched thing somewhere, but you know, did the compensating controls you have sitting behind it actually detect it? Did your um, you know, security operations group actually respond in some reasonable way, or as happened with one of our early partners, did you, you know, exploit a thing and then nothing happened because nobody knew because you're, nobody knew because you're a, you know, security services provider had turned off alerts from right. the box because it's too, it's too noisy, noisy, right? Yeah. 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 So the, the harsh realities of the security world, right?
Yeah, it's a common um, enough thing, right? Exactly, yeah. So it's we're really trying to help shake people out of a defender's mindset, get away from building bigger and better castles and help people start to think of think like an attacker mm -hmm. so that you can contextualize risk a little better, think about what's actually going to impact your business. Mm. So I, I love that. I, I like the way you're talking about it. One of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about what you called like the high-end pen testing or sure. red teaming um, was the ability for your clients to establish what I, I called um, flags, right? Or you called bounties on some things that sure. you find. And I, and I think that that's interesting, right? Because you know, for, for an organization, you know, if you're a mortgage company, you've got a repository of loan applications that are high, high value um, that, that that, you know, um, other company down the road doesn't have. And, you know, if you're a, a retail company, the credit card information may be what you need to protect. Everyone's got their own unique stuff. Yep. Do you somehow factor that in with what you're doing as like, yeah, you don't need to worry as much about that, but this you really do need to worry about. Yeah, the types of, so what we're working towards in the attack is is the what now or what then, right? Um, so when you go do some sort of, you know, data searching or like poking around somebody's network, right? You know, kind of who cares if you can enumerate a bunch of computers, mm -hmm. right? Like talk to me about things that matter. Um, so uh, today we're just doing the early stage attack and pivoting into an environment, right? Um, and then the follow-on pieces are all more what we would think of as campaigns, right? So go find things that have password in the name, right? Go find me user credentials. Go find me, you know, things that look like sensitive information, um, and you know, exfiltrate or um, you know, simulate exfiltration of those types of things, right? See what actually happens. Um, are you guys at a point where your system? I I, I totally get it that you, your system is probably built to gain persistence. And that seems like you know a, a really good way to start. Yeah. But like the, the actual like intelligence to say I'm going to go find the interesting stuff is this, is the system smart enough to do that? Uh, we're getting there. Hmm. We're getting there. I'm not going to say that we're there today. Okay. Um, but the types of things that um, are easy for like a CISO to contextualize for us or to provide are like the nuggets of information about like, hey, what do you care about? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that was usually when we did these like high end engagements in the past, right? You would talk to somebody and say like, I'm really worried about this one thing in this one place, right? And sometimes it's the thing that the Russians went after when they came after you before, or that you know whoever hacked into you previously stole this. Um, but usually those things are fairly like reasonably constrained. Um, I think a lot of times. Uh, the, the Randori part, right? The the practicing the breach, um, people don't do that a whole lot in any sort of real way. Um, and so, if you can tell me, you know, go after anything in my environment that looks like X, I would, you know, love to do that. We've got a lot of tooling that provides those types of you know, yeah. search mechanisms because that's the easy part, right? Yeah. I think I think if anyone who hasn't spent the time figuring out, like, here's the four or five things that would really hurt if someone got access to them, you know, that's the first thing they should be doing, and then, yeah. uh, and honestly, it takes a little bit of trust to even tell you what those things are, right? Like, yeah, I, some of it's obvious at the low yeah, the yeah. mortgage company, uh, the loan d documents, but there's some other stuff that we just don't want to say. But I think that that's required for this to be super effective. Yeah, I, th I think that the the honest discussion about what matters is yeah. you know, one of the core things that I've seen missing in the industry as a whole. And yeah. I'm hoping to you know help facilitate, yeah. you know, by by hook or by crook, I guess, um, but. Um, you know, as much as I wish that I could say that my experience indicated that people generally knew what they needed to defend, um, my experience has mostly been that people still think they have to defend everything from right. everybody everywhere all the time. Yeah, I worked and I worked at a large a... bank, uh, and I won't say any names. <laughs> um, and 
we had an executive who said, we're just going to defend it all the same because it's too hard to segment up. And, you know, at the, at the time, it was earlier in my career, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And now looking back, like, it's so expensive. And number one, it's very expensive. Number two, it just doesn't work. Like, mm-hmm. you could spend all of the money on it, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you can't defend everything. Yeah. I, well, I think, you know, one of my mantras over the last several years has been, you know, really about definitions of success, right? And if you define success as keeping hackers out of my network, yeah. you know, and I'm air quoting for people who can't see me because we're not a video, right? <laughs> you know, if keeping hackers out of the network is your only definition of success, you're going to lose every time just yeah. by definition, right? You're not going to keep them out of your network, right? You know, I think winning is all about, you know, detecting early, responding reasonably, and keeping the business running. Yeah. Right. Most companies are not in the business of cybersecurity. They're in the business of building widgets or selling yeah. product or doing whatever they do for a living. Right. Just that exercise of asking, what does winning mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if the answer you come up with is keeping them out of the network, I actually I agree with you, by the way, that's not reasonable, but at least it's a definition and you can at least use it to start building yeah. around. I, I think it's a starting point for dialogue, right? And, and But if you don't even ask the question, which I bet you most people, folks haven't actually asked the question, well, you can't even work from that. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, technologists tend to get caught up in the technology. Um, you know, I will point fingers squarely at the security market for this too. Um, you know, your average CEO does not understand how the computer yeah. Right. Like, and so they're depending on people to communicate to them effectively. One of the things that I see is, you know, the operations group and the infrastructure group and the risk group talk past each other because these are different languages, right? Yeah. I mean, it's taken a really long time for the security space to catch up on just how to dialogue with, you know, the rest of senior management. Yeah. Um, now that we're kind of getting there, um, you start to see some some change, but. You know, the companies that did the best at defending against us breaking into them were the companies that had put cybersecurity under risk, mm. as opposed to the ones that had put it under IT. Mm. And I think only because they had a better framing for what they were trying to accomplish. You know, and a lot of the technologists came at it from, I'm just going to protect everything. And if I can fix every vulnerability, I'll be good. But I'm here to tell you, you're not going to fix every vulnerability because you don't know about them all. Yeah. Um, and if that's your only defense, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? But if you can you know, know what normal looks like and you know, have some basic capacity to, you know, kind of unbreak stuff that you run into, you end up doing pretty well. So talk about the, the company, a really cool technology side. Um, I see on your website, you know, request beta right now. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so are you actually, you know, selling things to customers? Where are you guys at as, as a company right now? Yeah, so we've been around for, we're just coming up in our one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, February will be the uh, anniversary. Um, we have a beta availability for our reconnaissance offering. Uh, we've got attack in alpha. Uh, we just launched our first attack against one of our early partners uh, back in November. Uh, I would say that went swimmingly for us. Uh, Does that mean you broke in? Well, we, Not we, so well for them? <laughs> broke in, yeah. Uh, so that was good. Um, I think that we've helped uncover some you know, yeah. institutional conversations good that for them to take place that. there. But they're, uh, yeah. you know, they're doing really well, I think, and they're going to get better, so yeah. I'm excited. Um, and it's helping us learn so right now we're at a phase where we're very much not interested in money. We're more interested in feedback and making sure we're building the right product. Yeah. Uh, we're expecting that we'll be uh, in GA, uh, so kind of general availability about mid-year. Okay. Um, so we're moving quick. Yeah. Um, it's been a pretty wild ride. And now you live in Colorado. I do. Um, yeah. Brian lives in. Brian lives in Boston. Boston. So uh, okay. companies uh, headquartered in Boston, uh, and we've got all of our engineering is here in Denver. Do you guys have an office in Denver? Uh, so we office at Thrive Workplace yeah. uh, here in downtown Denver, and it's awesome. Are you hiring anybody? 
You want, do you need to hire people? Uh, I am always looking for bright people. Uh, yeah. Definitely looking for uh, a, a number of positions right now, um, most notably uh, if you happen to be a director of engineering and looking for that kind of thing and you yeah. want to move at a rocket ship pace, please, please, please reach out. Awesome. Are you looking for someone who's going to have hands-on code or someone who's going to run a team? Or uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. It. It's, well, it's, it's early stage startup, right? We're 18 people and yeah. just moving as fast as we can so wherever people can pitch in. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm going to take us way back. Let's you had back. this idea, you know, to, to build this platform. You started talking to Brian about it, uh, or, or he brought, you know, someone brought it up. You started yeah. talking about it. How does that go? You know, you're, you're employed by Kairos. Um, how does it go from saying, hey, I got this other job to like, I'm going to do a whole new thing? This, that's a big step at some point, and I'd love to hear your thought process and, and, and that that. Well, I was looking, I mean, so I was excited about an opportunity, right? And I got to say, I wasn't like looking for a job. Um, you know, people who know me here in Denver will uh, appreciate that I have been known to be long-winded and hem and haw and talk and philosophize about things. Um, so I wasn't looking for a gig. I, like I said, I love my team at Kairos. Those guys are awesome. Uh, and if there were any way I could hire any of them, I would totally do that. But I don't, like, I love the company, right? Um, and so um, we were kind of chatting with Brian, and really what we saw was um, there were some shifts that were beginning to take place in the market. Um, and the timing felt really right for this type of offering. And you know, we had uh, a good opportunity with um, some early conversations with some you know, VCs who were interested in funding a thing that looked like what we wanted to do. And it definitely became one of those things where uh, without looking for a new opportunity, it kind of just fell in your lap. And you're like, well, I you know, sat down and I kind of decided that I'd feel like an ass if I didn't take the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so we, we just did it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and like I said, I'm I'm super grateful to like both my team that I came from, the team that I have now, um, you know, and kind of everybody involved in the whole transaction because it just worked out really well. Yeah. So I want to. I'm totally excited to hear where this goes, and probably want to talk to you about getting a look at your platform a little bit more. But yeah, for sure. we'll take that offline. Uh, moving kind of randori aside for now. Yeah. You know, you and I have met through industry stuff in, in Colorado in the past, you know, B-sides. And, and I'd love to hear, you know, your experience of the security community. I know before we hit record on this, we were talking about all the different stuff going on here. Um, talk to me about how you got plugged in and like where you, how do you interact with the security community? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I am terrible at the media and the communication. And certainly in the last year, it's just been all startup all the time. Um, but yeah, I, I remember in Denver, uh, playing pool and drinking drinks at Cafe Netherworld like mm. way back in the day when all the InfoSec kids in the area just hung out there and hemmed and hawed about all of the uh, the security stuff. Um, well, for those who don't know what you're talking about, what you know, what year are you talking about? And, uh, 2001. Yeah, and is this a, right? like is this, a this is just a bunch of random guys getting together? Well, I, I wouldn't call it a, call it random, but I think uh, it's open secret that there's a pretty good community of folks doing infosec in the denver area yeah. um, and out have popped a number of you know companies and you know reasonably famous professionals i guess um, and so I, i'm not going to claim that i was in any way instrumental or you know involved in that but it was just like a crew that i knew yeah um, when i came back to colorado um, i started you know going back to like the local 303 meetups and the dc 303 meetups mm -hmm. and uh, there was a kind of growing crowd of people putting together a number of get-togethers um, you know, I'm not one of the people who's um, super involved in all the different like certified communities. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the uh, the more B sides and uh, 
Skytalks driven stuff, I would say. Yeah. It was, you know, more my scene. So hoodies and black t-shirts more than the suits. And... <laughs> the, the infamous basement hacker. Well. With the hoodie. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? right? Why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I still try to get to the uh, DC303 meetup every month, you know, if I can, uh, down at DenHack. And yeah. Uh, any opportunity to grab a beer and talk about security, whatever. Yeah. Um, I would say that there's a lot of people who've got a lot of really good ideas here, which I appreciate. And I know you, at least previously, were, in, were meeting up with the, the CitySec folks when yep. Jake was running it, and I know Colin's been running it for a while. I don't know if you've been still doing that. Uh, I, you know, I haven't really been since uh, Jacob took that brilliant position and moved back out yeah, to where I used him. to live. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, try to get out and visit out there once in a while. If you guys don't know Jacob, he's, over, he's at DARPA uh, saving the world or, or something, something good like that. Yeah, or something. I don't know. Yeah. He's uh, get, gets paid to think, I think, which is good. It yeah, works for him. Program manager over there. <laughs> cool stuff. Well, so you know, I got to ask you some interesting questions. Is there anything that that you wish I asked you? Something you want to talk about for listeners that that I haven't asked you about? Yeah, you know, I don't have anything in particular. I, I got to say that I'm, I'm super excited about what I see as very positive change uh, mm. in the cybersecurity space. I'm like, you know, really excited to see people actually talking about you know risk and trying to think about you know how does security evolve yeah. uh, and I kind of hope that I get to be part of that conversation and put a little force in the right direction for that. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, uh, so your website, is it, is it just randori.com? Randori.com. Yeah. R-A-N-D-O-R-I.com. Yep. That's it. And I, yep. I see a pretty picture of your smiling face on the website. Well, I can't control the marketing, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, I try to ignore it so that I don't have to and get teased too much but yeah it's a it's a great team and i'm really really excited about all we're doing awesome well uh thanks for your time this has been a lot of fun and i like i said i, I would love to touch base maybe a, a year from now and just see what have you guys done right? <laughs> what's out because you should be a, a long way from yep from yeah I, a year from now it's going to be a totally totally different thing so i'm awesome. excited all right well have a good one we'll talk to you again soon hey, Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.